Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Black Cast on my phone, ready to play right now. to the black cast very excited to bring you a couple of great musician interviews today in a little bit i'll chat with a couple of the guys from a band out of the pacific northwest called the loyal order but first up i'm very excited to chat with fastest land animal a band whose debut album will be released soon they've got a couple of great songs already out there answer in my head there's a video for and uh, too close to the fire uh, there's a, a sock puppet video that we can talk about that, but I want to welcome to the show uh, singer, guitarist, screaming Jack Novak, drummer, Shark Samuel, Samuels, and I believe we've also got Alphonse Castillo. I think I've got the whole band with me, which I, I was, I'm excited, but I wasn't prepared for all three of you. We are here and ready to boogie. I think that uh, the best place to start is how the band uh, comes together and uh you know when you guys meet i think that uh that's always a good place to start and yeah, do, do we meet in prison guys i think they may have quit before the album even I, comes out yeah i think there's one name on my screen that has a has the microphone crossed out uh yeah that's alphonse he's shy and i don't think yeah. he speaks that english that well okay so that that explains a lot but uh sharks <laughs> got the picture there <laughs> okay. oh wait what was that I think I Shark's know. making a noise there. It sounded a lot like John Williams. So I think that that would be consistent with Shark. You got to forgive him. He is a drummer. You know, they're not really good at putting sentences together. No, but they don't need to. They just, uh, how hard can you hit it? Can you hit it harder? You know, I get it. That's what we need. Well, Jack, give yeah, us- Yeah, we, uh, we actually, we missed, met in West Hollywood. We had all our dramatic stories, how we all got there. Well, Jack, since uh, you're the one that uh, that is actually speaking to me at the moment, uh, let's talk a little bit about your uh, background, uh, where you grew up and, uh, you know, when you maybe uh, started playing music. Well, I grew up in rural England, but then I, through a series of circumstances, ended up in West Hollywood. Uh, it was not easy going for me. Didn't have any money. You know, it was like the hayseed coming off the bus with... 10 bucks in your pocket. I met Shark. He was playing pickle buckets upside down on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, he kept getting arrested. I got arrested once or twice. We met in the plank. And then uh, we decided to start a band together. We <clears throat> were hanging out. It was up, I think it was Griffith Park. And there was this kid there, didn't speak any English, but he was playing soccer. And he was doing really well. So naturally, we said, do you play bass? And he said, of course I do. But he said it in <laughs> Portuguese, so I didn't really know what he meant. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and that was the genesis of uh, Fastest Land Animal. You personally, Jack, were you in any other bands before this? Or uh, did you just uh, luck into this uh, great band first time out of the gate when you got into town? I was in a wedding band in uh, rural England called the Shaggy Pub. Unfortunately, we didn't play any weddings and we had advertised for bar mitzvahs, but there was no bar mitzvahs available at that time in England. So I moved to the U S with the hopes of getting some more bar mitzvah gigs, but that never happened. Did uh, anybody perhaps confuse the Shaggy pub for a tribute act for the R and B hip hop artist Shaggy. And is that perhaps why you didn't get the bookings you were looking for? That may have been the case. Because I don't know. I, I've actually I, never met Shaggy, but I'll have to ask him. He might sue me now after this interview. Well, that you know what? <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, well, I don't know. I just think 
he's really got the one song uh, it wasn't me and that's not really a good wedding song for uh, anybody else. that's there. funny that was in our set list actually <laughs> see I didn't that, know that been was perfect him. now uh the notes yeah. i have here explain that you uh did uh end up in cleveland between england and hollywood which is kind of a logical step you know you can't go all the way from england to hollywood uh stopping off in cleveland Too far yeah and so we you figured t- you know go you go to you go to LA for the business, but you go to Cleveland for the weather. So we went there. I think it was <laughs> February. We, we didn't have any winter coats. So we basically snuck into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and slept, like curled around this heating duct in the Pink Floyd, the wall exhibit right. on the third floor. That only lasted about an hour or two. Then they kicked us out. And then we said, let's go where it's warmer. And we got out of Cleveland. Yeah, that sounds like probably the way to do it. And by the way, uh, let's just say that you wouldn't be the uh, first musician that snuck into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. When you see, there's a few in there that you, you just have to scratch your head. So I think uh, it's more than appropriate. I assume the other guys are with us, but they're you know maybe a little uh, a little shy, which you know might not bode well for when the band gets to go out and do live shows. But that's all right. They can chime in at any time. Uh, but uh, I do like that you guys Guys met in jail because I think look a lot of great partnerships start that way. This is true. I mean, I mean, who else met in jail? Um, bon- Bonnie and Clyde didn't meet in jail. No, they didn't. No, that's true. Jeez, uh, well, who else is there? Uh, uh, well, uh, Richard Pryor and uh, Gene Wilder. Although I guess. Oh the, yeah, they met in jail. Well, that was that was, it was a just movie, a movie. But yeah, but, they, they, we yeah. could pretend that. Well, they didn't. Bonnie- no, they didn't even meet in jail. They got put in jail. Oh yeah, you're right. They already knew each other, dressing up as chickens. <laughs> All right. Well, so, but you know, I think that that really solidified. Uh, I think they met Grossberger in jail, right? Yeah. Right. See, now you're talking. Well, let's talk about there's the two videos that are out there. The more recent one, Too Close to the Fire. Actually, no, sorry, that's the uh, that's the older one. I want to start with Too Close to the Fire. Now, that video featured sock puppets uh, that were basically representing the whole band. Now, I understand that maybe you don't want to do that for everything, but why didn't you have the sock puppets in the second video? Uh, it's quite. Honestly, our publicist's fault. <laughs> we we were very proud of our sock puppet video. We thought it was really clever. Yeah. And she immediately yelled at us and said, you guys are a bunch of idiots. There's like 8,000 sock puppet videos out there. <laughs> and I hate sock puppets. What's wrong with you? Yeah. So uh, we were forbidden from doing yeah. any more. Although we did, we do have a special surprise guest at the end of the second video that does not have sock puppets. Well, by the way, I know your publicist and that sounds just like her. So uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not surprised that she reacted that way. See, I was afraid that, uh, you know, they did the first video and then they unionized and you guys weren't able to afford them anymore. So, uh, well, you know but- what they say? Never work with children, animals or socks. <laughs> That's true. The catering alone is so expensive for these freaking <laughs> sock puppets. And they're sloppy. They just get food all over the place. No, uh, exactly. they need smoking breaks every five minutes. It's just a drag. Both of the, the songs, I think, are great. And I think everybody should know that the album can be uh, pre ordered or pre added, I guess is the way you describe it, because of the way some of the services work. You can add the album now. You can get that on Spotify, Apple, and Deezer, but uh, fastestlandanimal.band. I didn't even know dot band was a thing. How has dot band not just become the default website thing for every band, really? Believe it or not, Shark Samuels is the guy yeah. who knows all that stuff. You're going to have to chime in here at some point, Shark. But it doesn't have to be now, though. See, that's the key. It can what, be whatever what, what, it wants it to be. Shark, are you at Sonic Burger ordering or something? What's going on? I'll take the large tots if uh, and, and, and a, and a uh, Route 44 uh, strawberry limeade, if that's all right. <clears throat> I hear they have the best the best ice of any fast food restaurant. <laughs> you know, I have heard that. I've, I've heard that there's a, there's a whole book out there <laughs> devoted to fast food ice that uh, actually mentions that Sonic has the best. Uh, Chick-fil-A ice is good too, but, uh, here, here's my, uh, very, the, if you take nothing away from this interview or anything else, not Burger King ice, that's not the best. I, I think that that's probably not worth, uh, you know, spending all of your ice money on, which yeah, I think most, most bands should have an ice budget. The other video though, that, uh, we're uh, talking about now answer in my head video, there's uh, TVs on your heads and, uh, I have to wonder, did that hurt? And, uh, how long did you have to leave the TVs on? Well, actually, I still have my TV on. It, oh. We had an accident with the with the with the hat measurement sizes, and so the TV got kind of got stuck on our heads. That's probably why the other two guys aren't talking. Yeah, we we all still have these stupid TVs on our heads. I don't blame them. It, That's all right. It's fine during the day. At night, it's a little uncomfortable. 
to sleep. I kind of have to stack pillows behind my head. And, <laughs> but luckily, I get I get all thirteen channels plus UHF. Yeah, well, that's so good. I can watch TV and not disturb anyone else in the room. It, it, just imagine if they had tried to put one of those flat screens on your head. So it's good that it's the the old style TV that uh, that goes up there. What? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have been able to walk through doorways if I had that flat screen on my head. <laughs> You'd be stuck in the room and that you guys film the video. So Jack, yep. what were some of your uh, musical influences just growing up? What did you like to listen to that maybe inspired you to personally start playing music? Buzzcocks were a big influence on me for sure. Yeah, of course. Black Sabbath, big mm-hmm. influence. Husker Du, another big influence. And, Partridge uh, family. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what musician that uh, takes themselves seriously that weren't inspired by the Partridge family at some point, but uh, mostly just Danny Partridge. You know? I mean, they got the hooks. They got the looks and the hooks. What else do you need? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think that's the important thing. In terms of uh, seeing live music, do you remember what uh, maybe it was your first or one of the earliest concerts you went to? Was that the moment you saw somebody and you're like, oh, I want to do what, what they're doing? It would have to be the first time I saw the Sugar Cubes. Actually, saw them in London back when the Sugar Cubes were around, which is the '80s. And that's and, uh, uh, was, that's where that's where Bjork started, right? I, I want to make sure exactly I'm the right band. Yeah, yeah they're okay. they're Icelandic band. Yeah, uh, that's Bjork's uh, original band, and they had, it was like Bjork, and then they had a, another guy. I don't know his name, but he was sort of like the Fred Schneider from B52s of the band. Right. He would just like <laughs> yell out like nonsensical things and or some version right that you do that kind of thing love whatever, Shrek, baby. yeah whatever the he, icelandic version of of rock lobster right. is yeah and he would play trumpet sometimes too but i just remember that was the first time i ever saw a mosh pit at a sugar cubes concert wow yeah and it was i think the the concert was in brixton i didn't know what was going on but the next thing i knew i was literally underneath like 17 different asses of people crowd surfing <laughs> on top of me because i was all the way up front yeah, uh, you know, and it was general admission. There was no seats or anything, and I didn't know what was going on. But I said, uh, "This, I'm go- next time I play a show, this is happening. Period. End of <laughs> full stop. We're yeah. gonna whatever this is called. You know, I, this is what I we're gonna this. do." <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You know, you're talking about the Sugar Cubes and Bjork, and I'm sort of thinking about from that era. I think being part of a band didn't really mean as much, you know? I mean, you had uh, Annie Lennox break away from the Eurythmics pretty quickly and uh, Bjork. And, you know, people don't think of Natalie Merchant as in terms of 10,000 Maniacs. 10,000 Maniacs, yeah. yeah they, got, they got rid of 9,999 of the Maniacs. This was the only one they wanted. Ah. You know? But I feel like you guys, especially the way that you're really kind of stuck together throughout the course of this interview, I feel like you guys are a real band that you're in for the long haul. Talk a little bit about what your plans are for once the album comes out. Well, clearly, after this interview, these two motherfuckers are fired because uh, <laughs> they're not saying anything. So there's going to be it's going to be a Screaming Jack Novak, Bjork, Annie Lennox, <laughs> and Natalie Merchant supergroup. We're going to do all like folk music, but like moshable versions of folk music. That's the way I feel like folk music should always be enjoyed. And just to be completely honest, this is Shark. My shark voice was not working. Oh, oh. Look, it speaks. It so lives. That is a terrible idea. I am not fired. <laughs> I'm glad you're not fired. Alphonse Sorry that the fired. shark voice didn't work, though. You know, technology. Shark, uh, has, uh, has Jack misrepresented uh, any of the history of the band? I feel like there might be a couple things that you might need to clean up now, now that uh, we've got a real professional on here. Yeah, just about all of it, but uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll go with it so far. I resemble that remark. <laughs> um. You know, the, the pickle bucket thing that really started in New York. So that's where I got my classical pickle bucket training. I believe he said I was playing pickle buckets in LA, but by that time I had graduated onto a plastic drum set, like a whole set. So uh, you have that wrong, but other than that, yeah, we definitely uh, met in prison and it's been the honeymoon. It's hard to remember with all the drugs I've done, we've done collectively, we're doing right now. It's hard to remember all these details. Oh yeah. When you said all the drugs you've done, I thought you meant since this morning. I I didn't uh, think it had anything to do with anything in the history. And by drugs, I mean, I mean, we, we, I took some Tylenol PM last night because I couldn't sleep. Yeah. And then uh, this morning I took a multivitamin. You know, when I really want to throw my day off, I take the day quill right before bed and then the night quill in the morning. And uh, I just, uh, I feel like I'm flying high the whole time. Yeah. That's some third shift 
behavior. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, obviously, you know, we referenced the the fact that you can pre-order the album and it's fastestlandanimal.band. And uh, I, I think, Shark, you were the one who was given credit for the whole dot band thing that uh, you made sure that you guys got fastestlandanimal.band, right? Yeah, so uh, you can have dot just about anything these days, but dot band yeah. makes so much sense. And uh, it's honestly a term that's very widely used. So we had to get creative with it and uh, we wanted everything to work properly. But I, yeah, I don't know why every band doesn't at least own dot band. Yeah. I'm I'm just wondering, like, should I be buying up, like, I don't know, Foo Fighters dot band? Yeah, Metallica dot band. We've done that already. So, oh, okay. All right. Well, you know, it's good. I'm glad because I would be putting it out there and then everybody else would run You know what? Like, you can you can definitely get those, but I'm pretty sure they have better lawyers than you do. So you probably might not want to. <laughs> We're going to have a, a band.band website where we sell everyone's fans their dot band back. Look, that's a side gig that, uh, you know, you guys can do, but obviously the uh, the album's expecting to be huge. So what's the uh, what's the plan in terms of, you know, I'll talk to musicians sometimes and I'll be like, oh, I guess, uh, you know, nobody's playing live music. And every once in a while, somebody be like, no, no, I just played for a few thousand people in a field in Colorado last week. I'm like, all right. So uh, are there plans for uh, any touring to support the album or is it more of the uh, got to wait and see when you guys will be able to uh, actually get out there on the road? I, I, think, I think it's think about time that I chime in. Yeah, there you go. Here hey. he is, Alphonse. I, I got to be perfectly honest with you guys. Everything you've been told is a lie. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, we all met through the Spice Girls fan club. Oh, oh man, don't tell anyone that. It's, sorry. That's, that's so crazy because I have never seen you guys at the meetings. That's just very strange. But uh, I guess it's virtual now, so that, that makes sense. Well, uh, we met the Spice Girls in prison, too. That was how that all started. Look, that makes sense. That's probably... Uh, <laughs> people have wondered where they've been. So, obviously, you guys would should get out on the road, but... Uh, I don't know. I feel like there's going to probably be some things in the way preventing that, right? If this were a normal pre-COVID or hopefully one day post-COVID time, we would for sure be on the road touring, playing our normal 3,000 shows a year. Unfortunately, that's not realistic right now, nor is it probably safe to do that. Um, So we're going to continue to write and record. uh, We're going to record remotely. We did this last album remotely. Uh, which worked out really great for us, actually. We're going to continue to do that. And, you know, maybe we can do something. Do you think it was effective to record remotely because perhaps there's already tensions within the band, even though the first album isn't out yet? And it's probably better that you guys, it's, it's, you know, if you're on tour, you should all get your own dressing room. But if you're all in your own recording studios, it's probably going to be better for Harmony, right? Yeah, truthfully, we all and each other. So (laughs) we all have our own separate tour buses, Uber cars. And uh, (laughs) so... You know, we want to stay away from each other. We all have our, our different rooms for catering, McDonald's. And um, <laughs> their ice is only all. And then we all have our own dressing rooms, broom closets. <laughs> you know, obviously you guys met on the uh, on the Sunset Strip. So if you were able to, you know, have a first show, if, you know, if we woke up tomorrow and it's like, oh, by the way, COVID's gone. We're starting to book shows again next week. Where do you think would be a good spot for you guys to kind of do your uh, your big, you know, album release? We're going to actually take a year because we okay. want to do it right and do an entire Sunset Boulevard tour starting at the Whiskey. OK. And then we'll travel west to east. So we'll do the Whiskey. Then we'll do uh, well, we were going to do the lobby of the Standard Hotel, but that closed. So we can't do that anymore. You but could then uh, we'll do, do the you could do the valet line at the Chateau Marmont. I think that would probably be a good well, spot. Before we hit the Chateau Marmont, we're going to do the inside uh, courtyard pool at the Sunset Marquee. That's good. Um, then Have you thought about the uh, Carney's, the hot dog place that's an old train car? Do you definitely. think you guys could fit in there? Well, yeah, I mean, you never know. We're going to be opportunistic about that. We're definitely doing the Roxy. Yeah. Uh, we're definitely going to do Pink's, that hot dog place. <laughs> that's true. Um, oh, you know what? That's going to be a problem. You got to pick one. You can't do Carney's and Pink's. So if you're going to be Pink's guy, oh. fine. but the rest of your career, you have to only play Pink. So just, we're going to go point. under a different name to play to play both. So <laughs> we thought about this. Now, see, okay. that sounds smart. Yeah. All right. I, look, I just I'm just trying to help. You know, I, I think that uh, you want to be able to to really make sure that everybody that lives in the 90068 zip code really knows you guys. And right. if you just start playing at people's houses, they'll be like, you know what? I think I really like that band. 
the finale of the tour will be a multimedia Fantasia set at the Cinerama Dome where we're playing, there's be movies and sound and music with us performing basically at, you know, whatever movie's playing, we're just sneaking and we'll just perform and, yeah. until we get kicked out. And if we're going to keep you on Sunset, you could do an in-store at Amoeba, even though Amoeba's closed now, I'm pretty sure that you could probably just, you know, just a well-placed brick, you guys could get into the, the property that was Amoeba Records and you guys can do an in-store. Is Amoeba really closed for real? Yeah, it, clo- it was supposed to close. <sighs> And then uh, it was going to open in a new location. And then just the pandemic just kind of shut the whole thing down. It may reopen one day, but it wasn't going to stay in that. You know, look, that that's a piece of real estate that has a future high rise written all over it. You know, they couldn't wait to knock that thing down. And, you know, look, I'm going to be honest. We're talking a lot about fast food and ice and things like that. The fact that 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 Jack in the Box closed across the street, that's more upsetting than the fact that uh, that Amoeba closed. Isn't that Jack in the Box? like supposed to be one of the most terrifying places to ever go in all of the country or something. It's, it's, it's on no tourist map. <laughs> it's yeah. like where you go to score like crack or something. Yeah, or I, was, something uh, right? I, I was accosted in the drive through line by uh, let's just say someone who was housing challenged at the moment. I, I don't want to be disparaging in 2021. And uh, I actually drove out of the line and didn't pick up my food because I was just like, I, I can't deal with this. Oh, dude. Well, you know what? You did your body a service by not probably by not. You know what? That's that. And that's why I'm still here to be able to talk to you guys today. Well, look, I look forward to the uh, to the Sunset Boulevard uh, tour. Uh, You you know, I I live in Burbank, so I'm going to need you to get a little closer to the freeway before I can uh, head down to join you guys. But uh, dude, you're you're really, really I understand you're very far. Yeah, you got to you got to traverse the 110, Uh, right? Yeah, I'll tell you what, when you get when you get to the basically if you get to the Starbucks that's at like sunset in Vermont, I'll be like, all right, that's not too far. I can I can look as part as part of this tour, we are actually building an underground subway (laughs) from Hollywood and Vine up to La Crescenta. Yeah. Um, And there'll be both express and local trains. So you should be okay. You'll get as long as you get to Hollywood Vine, you can like you can hope it the rest of the way. Yeah. Hey, we've been I, uh, we've been trying to book the IKEA in Burbank. Is there? Yeah. A, you know anyone there? I, I do, but the problem is that you know the I think the food court has been closed. You know the restaurant with the Swedish meatballs and the you know. Not, yeah, not we weren't that. gonna. We were just gonna do the lobby scenario. Okay. If you know a guy. I think it depends. If you're okay performing in the the children's bedroom section, I know somebody there, but I can't I can't get you into housewares. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I just don't well, have that kind of pull. Here's the deal. We can't do the children's bedroom oh, section. Just yeah. We did oh, you a, know what that was? That was in the notes too. Once. I forgot. Yeah. I was supposed to avoid Alphonse. that topic. My, Alphonse, my fault. Uh, yeah. So what is it? Thirty yards, Alphonse. <laughs> Look, I'm gonna have these these other two guys in the band. They're gonna be wandering up and down Sunset Boulevard looking for the gig. I'm going to be doing a huge gig at the Hollywood Bowl. They won't even know I'm there. I'm look, I'm looking forward to all of it. And I just think about how great this T-shirt, the tour shirt is going to be, where it's just each gig is just like, you know, one building next to it uh, on Sunset Boulevard. So uh, we got to You got to allow time for travel. Yeah. <laughs> In any case, obviously, fastestlandanimal.band. That's where everybody can find everything. You know, I was a little disappointed. I went to that website. And uh, no merch. Come on. You just want people to actually hear the music before they buy the T-shirt? I was going to buy the T-shirt first and then listen to the song. That was just the way I was thinking about it. Merch yeah, is we got to get on the merch train. Merch is coming. Okay. The Ramones, how, do you think they sold more records or more T-shirts, the Ramones? Two members of the Kardashian family, only T-shirts. <laughs> uh, I don't so, think we're playing Calabasas, by the way, in case you're wondering. No, that's a that's an album three tour. I, I don't think. Yeah, that's that's way off the grid yeah, for us. We gotta. That's when you guys do your concept rock opera. Uh, I think that uh, that's really the time to get that out there. That well, would be our triple album with the gatefold and you know Roger Dean art. Just make sure you put some cool inserts that you can you can shake it, sort of like the Kiss Army. You know, you can have. We'll little, have fake uh, mustaches and oh you know gosh. guns like like love guns that pop yeah. and you, when you flick them. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But just make sure it doesn't say Love Gun. Otherwise, you'll get a call from Gene Simmons' attorney. And uh, Well, we already bought lovegun.band, so we're fine. Oh, Absolutely. perfect. We're good. I love the way you guys are so prepared. So you guys are literally prepared for anything except for maybe an interview. And you know what? Even that turned out all right. So I'm having a lot of fun talking to you guys. I can't wait to hear more music. Is there? Are you guys planning on releasing any more songs before the album or uh, the album will be out soon? What, uh, what should people be looking for? Every okay. day. 
basically up until the album release, we're releasing a snippet of all the tracks from the, uh, from the album on all of our socials. So you can go on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and you'll get a little portion of each song up until the album release. Is there an actual, I, I, I hate to corner you guys, is there an actual release date for the album or it's just coming soon? March 5th, right? March 5th. Okay. Then that's going to go back to, now you'll have a chance to yell at your publicist because that was nowhere in the notes that I got that there's an actual what? release date. We're going to stop it's tell her. Yeah, make sure make sure that there's a video. Why don't you FaceTime the sock puppets with her? So sure. March 5th, that's great. Well, once I get to hear the whole album, uh, I hope that uh, we're able to talk again and, uh, you know, just share how much I appreciated it. I, I Also, I mean, we don't even have to set up another interview. We can just find a spot on Sunset Boulevard. I mean, one of the many places that we talked about. I think the Hustler store is the one place we didn't mention. So we might as well do that. RIP Larry Flint. You know, we can sort of uh, pay our respects. Yes, he there. passed on. We know he passed on. That's right across the street from the whiskey. Yeah. <clears throat> where we're playing our first show. So it's very uh, close by. Oh, our third. Third, uh, we're eventually going to release our third single, and that will be featuring our good friend Vip Frisco, who you can Google him and uh, tell you all about him. Frisco. Okay. No, Bip, B-I-B like boy, I-P like Paul. Bip Frisco. Yeah, Yeah, Vic Frisco sounds like, you know, a a two-line part on The Sopranos, so that's probably my fault. Uh, Bip is very sensitive about his name, too. Yeah, I, I think, by the way, Bip should be. But uh, yeah. I, I, I look forward to that as well. I look forward to the album and uh, I look forward to uh, getting the chance to chat with you guys again. Fastest Land Animal, fastestlandanimal.band. Take a listen on the way out. Uh, we appreciate your time, guys. Thanks, Christian. Thank you, Christian. Thank you. now are jeff buner and brandon cook of the band loyal order welcome to the show guys hey Hey, what's up man i'm doing all right uh let's uh, start off with uh, talking about how the two of you got to know each other and then that can sort of evolve into how the the band came uh uh, into being uh let me start with you jeff how did you get to know brandon um basically i met brandon uh through you know through some of the local stuff here in portland we're in portland oregon and uh you know, I, I saw him in a couple bands prior to actually meeting him. And I was like, that guy's pretty cool. And and uh, we ended up doing, uh, one night we did this kind of a British invasion night where we played a bunch of covers. A bunch of musicians got together in town and we kind of had a core band. I was playing bass. And uh, Brandon hopped up and played this Dio song with us. Which which song was it, Brandon? Uh, Stand Up and Shout. shout. Yeah. And he nailed the the Vivian Campbell guitar solo so well. I was uh, completely uh, infatuated with his musicality. And uh, we started hanging out more. And uh, lo and behold, we began to write and uh, started working on this record shortly thereafter. Uh, Yeah, and the the interesting thing that I saw in the notes, I guess, is that uh, you started putting this band together. uh, It it was to record a theme song for a uh, an outdoor show. Now, are you either or both of you outdoorsmen? Are you hunters or was it just a gig that came up or was it, you know, a favor for somebody? How does that come about? Um, Well, I'll take that first. I, I, I grew up in the in this in kind of the central Oregon area, the Columbia Gorge and uh, grew up hunting and fishing and stuff like that and um you know which had nothing to do with the song but when when uh jeff coxon called me up he was the producer of the show he called me up and he's like he's like hey i'm doing this heavy hitters outdoors uh, off the grid it was called heavy hitters outdoors at first it was going to be called off the grid and uh he was like hey i'm looking for a theme song um heard you're the guy to call, come to you for for that and i would need this really heavy 
heavy riff kind of sounding thing. And, and so Brandon was my first call. And uh, I said, Hey man, need something like the sounds kind of like this, but you know, use your own discretion. And a couple days later, he showed up with the hook for it, the guitar hook for it. And, um, at that time I had really didn't sing lead vocals at all because I'm a bass player by trade. And, uh, uh, that's kind of how it happened. You know, I, I went in and, and, uh, did the scratch tracks for it because I wrote the lyrics and the melody and stuff for it. And for whoever we were going to have come in and sing it. And, uh, Brandon and our producer, Kevin Hahn at the time, uh, were like, Hey man, I think you should give this a shot, you know, cause it sounds pretty cool. And I was like, well, okay, let's do it. You know, and ended up, uh, that's how I ended up singing in this band. So, and uh, Brandon, did he uh, take any uh, convincing that it was a good idea? Uh, you know, I mean, or was it like, uh, did everybody just kind of hear it and go like, yeah, why would we look for somebody else to uh, sing these songs? I mean, leading up to that to that session, we had, me and Jeff batted around a whole bunch of names and like in our local area, you know, we have some really great singing talent, including the guy that was like recording it with us, Kevin Hahn. And, and we, and then Jeff was in the studio just tearing up this song and me and Kevin looked at each other and we were just like, dude, are you hearing this? This sounds really cool. And, yeah. and so we go back over the talk back mic and we're like, Hey Jeff, are you going to do the song or what <laughs> kind of thing? <laughs> and I think at first he was a little bit taken aback, but in the end, I'm pretty sure he knew that his voice was right for it. And that's why he tried it. Even if it was just a gut feeling, we just, and then as we start, and we know we had already written a couple of songs together, you know, for for another project, and we played in a band together, and we had an instant chemistry for like creating. We just kind of look at each other, and you know, like if something wasn't working, it'd be like I got an idea, and you know, we just start playing with that idea, and everybody would just be kind of waiting for us to finish something, because we had this chemistry where we could just sort of spark each other into coming up with creative ideas and. So somebody had told me many years before, it's like, you got great riffs, man, but you need like a killer voice. And that even though I could sing, I never really, you know, felt comfortable with my, my vocal ability to like really drive a band. Sure. And when Jeff, Jeff and I had that spark there, it was just like, oh man, this is what a great opportunity for both of us, you know, to like mm -hmm. write songs and, you know, so yeah, I think, it didn't take too much convincing because he was he was really he was really on it. it he, he was killing it that day. So well, and Jeff, uh, you know, with you not planning on like this to be the vocal, I'm going to assume that you were much more relaxed when you were doing it. You know, because the idea was like, ah, this is just a temp thing. So, uh, do you think that if you had sat down and like, all right, I'm the singer now, uh, would you have approached it any differently? Would you have uh, you know sort of micromanaged in your head like, no, 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 I got to do this over and this that over? It, was it just more natural? I guess is the short version of the question. Well, well, it became natural. At first, it was basically just like I. You're you're right. I mean, it, I I knew what I wanted the lyrics to be and what I wanted it to sound like, so we could you know deliver this scratch track or whatever. And and uh, it basically that was it was just a scratch. I mean, yeah, I was relaxed at that point, and then um, you know then it took some work. Then then you know had to had to bust out the the confidence and the tool belt and everything, and 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 uh, get to work on it and learn a whole new instrument kind of on the fly so to speak and and uh we ended up retracting that song for the record too because i had grown so much since then and uh it's like i said this it basic this band started off as a studio project just between brandon and i and we ended up going to a producer named rob dacre who who uh he's worked with a lot of folks he most recently recorded the new royal bliss record i don't know if you know who royal bliss is they're kick-ass hard rock band and um you know, modern rock band more than anything. Um, but yeah, so we just kind of, as I grew, I, you know, got my feet under me and, and it's, you know, man, it's, it's, uh, it's a lesson in humility. You know, I basically just kind of, kind of learned as I went, took some lessons, learned how to sing properly without blowing my voice out. Cause that first song was really gritty and hardcore, you know, so, you know, quite a bit of almost yelling in it, you know, and, um, you know, that's kind of what happened, you know. 
Yeah. And, you know, as you're sort of figuring it out, who do you think was the, the vocalist that you're not necessarily trying to sound like, but, you know, in your head, like, this is what it sounds like. Were there people that, uh, you know, singers that you'd heard over the years, whether they're established or just people you'd work with, there's like, oh, yeah, th this is where I think my range fits in. You know, was there anybody in particular that uh, came to mind for you? Yeah, man. Like, you know, on, you know, I've always been a huge fan of Chris Cornell, huge. And, and I can only hope to get 20% of the way there with him. Um, but also, most importantly, I've, in all the bands that I've been in um, over the past, you know, say 10 years, um, if not longer, is uh, there's a guy that's in the, in the Pacific Northwest named Jeff Carroll. I've always played in bands with him and he's, he is that good. I mean, he is top shelf singer. And uh, so his style really affected me, you know, just, you know, subconsciously more than anything, you know, like I knew where to go with certain things uh, melodically. And also a gentleman named Michael Armando, who was a singer for a band called the Dragonflies. And Jeff Carroll would be more blues based and Michael was more classical rock based. He was more of a Freddie Mercury kind of guy. And so I've realized I actually had a talk with Michael <clears throat> about a week and a half ago, I think it was. And I told him how much his writing style affected, especially my choruses, that uh, the, the melodies in the choruses, because he would go there, uh, you know, like, like have have the pretty sounding melodies, you know, note selection. And, uh, you know, uh, he, I realized how much those two guys in particular really affected me, you know, and uh, how I approach it. And so being around two great singers like that, I mean, I always played bass and sang backups and helped arrange the songs and et cetera. But why should I go there when I'm surrounded by that kind of greatness, you know? So, but, you know, all, you know, all told, uh, they really, they all affected me. You know, some of the greats like as well, like Chris Cornell, Lane Staley, on and on and on and on, you know? <clears throat> sure. And uh, Brandon, you know, Jeff mentioned, you know, when he saw you, you were uh, you know, playing the Dio song and, uh, you know, yeah. Vivian Campbell is definitely uh, somebody who, you know, was able to be plugged into so many different bands. You know, he did a stint with Whitesnake and obviously, you know, filling some very big shoes with Def Leppard. Uh, oh, yeah. Who were some of the, <laughs> the players that maybe even when you first started playing that you were just like, oh, I want to try and get this song. And uh, who do you think as you evolved continued to be some of the biggest influences on your style of playing? Um, well, the, the very first player that really affected me was, was um, well, the guitar players for Kiss, like Ace Freely was a big deal for me, but I, my, my very first Kiss record that I ever bought was Crazy Nights, so my Kiss was Bruce Kulick and Eric Carr. Yeah. You know, yeah, so same Eric, same here. By the way, it was uh, hot in the shade for me, but uh, that uh, was the, <laughs> the second concert I ever went to was the hot in the shade tour, and uh, yeah, and I think yeah. Bruce Kulick is. Uh, I mean, no, he does Grand Funk Railroad now, but he's somebody that I think a lot of people just kind of forget about just how good he was. I and mean, people kind of uh, remember him, but uh, like just some of the solos that uh, that he had on the records, much less uh, live. Yeah, so I mean, Bruce is just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah nice, is, nice, nice guy too. Yeah, Bruce is it's, really yeah, great. Yeah. I've been watching him, his online spe special that he does with his Instagram page. It's really cool and get to see him play all those old Kiss solos. And I'm just like, yay, I'm 12 again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, right after that, like after I really got into that, I was like 13 and I heard Megadeth, you know, sure. so r r directly after my Kiss infatuation, it was like Megadeth, Chris Poland, Dave Mustaine, Marty Friedman. Um, James Hetfield, you know, and I was pretty obsessed with death metal in the 90s. And uh, I also went to jazz school. So like, oh, okay, like, I, I went to jazz school. And, you know, I had to study some classical guitar, and a little bit of like, you know, all the music theory. And, you know, there was this one class that really deeply affected me with composition was uh, harmonic and structural analysis, where we had to deep fragment all these great symphonies and great classical works and stuff and then I had to take a composition class the next year and then as soon as I got out of school I was like you know what I need to really get back into rock because I'm just <laughs> I just like I knew all this stuff and I had this this great palette of paints to paint with but I didn't it wasn't connected to the core so I started listening to Kiss again I started listening to like 
Megadeth and Dream Theater and all these great guitar players of rock influence. And um, I, I took a couple of guitar lessons from people to because I was trying to get into the pro music world. I, I studied with Al Petrelli and I studied, I, I went to- <laughs> Al Petrelli who played guitar in the first concert I went to, which was Alice Cooper in 1990. He was, oh my gosh. Uh, Al Petrelli was Alice Cooper's uh, guitar player, yeah. Wow, oh, Al is just, <laughs> he was such a great, te- I only took one lesson, it was a two hour lesson and he was so, so awesome. You know, he, he actually like hooked me up to go see the rehearsals for the last Sabotage tour ever. Oh, wow. And, and like, okay. he, he let me, he was like, yeah, go down and hang out. And I got to watch Chris Caffrey and all those dudes play. And so a couple of big influences on me, like later after the college stuff, I, I auditioned for Marty Friedman's band. I didn't get the job, but I learned all this great material. And mm-hmm. that helped me get to the next audition that I had that Al got me actually um, with, uh, was auditioning for Chris Caffrey. And, and uh, he, and I got the gig and, but I was having a child at the time. So he was just like, look, you can do these gigs, but after this, you know, it's you, you know, you've got a child at home you have to take care of and it's brand new. So if we're out in the middle of tour and something goes wrong, you have to go home. We can't do that. So it was like, all right, you know, and so I came back home and I joined a, a Guns N' Roses tribute band and like, I've just had, like really good experiences and that, i think that's the jeff where jeff saw me first was playing with the guns band and you know i have a ton of vocabulary just from from that and it's it's been really yeah a- i mean i can imagine just understanding music you know in a different way because of uh, you know studying jazz and then trying to implement sort of what you learned and yeah you know getting getting those uh, Guns N' Roses songs just down the way that, uh, you know, crowds aren't going to boo at you means that uh, there's a, there's a lot to pack in there. Uh, Jeff, sure. you mentioned that you started out as a, as a bassist. Uh, what were uh, some of the influences on you? Was there, did you see somebody live? Did you just hear a record and go like, Oh, I, I want to play the bass versus uh, anything else you could have done or did it, how did it come about for you? Well, I mean, uh, Gene Simmons was the first thing that happened. I, I remember staring at the uh, Kiss Alive One record as a small child and going, holy crap, what the hell is this? <laughs> I want to blow fire and spit blood and go, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. But, but then <laughs> after that, um, um, after that, I mean, geez, man, the, the list is long, but I mean, Steve Harris was a huge, huge influence on my playing. Um, I remember songs like early, early on, like, uh, I remember, do you remember the song I like to rock April wine? Uh, I think, I think I've heard that. Yeah. That, that sounds, it sounds familiar. Let's put it that way. Yeah. 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 It started off with this bass part and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And, and when I was in junior high, some band that came to our, our school, like covered it. And I was just like, that is badass, you know? And so I thought that was cool. And, um, you know, Steve Harris, again, is is a huge influence on me. Uh, Roger Glover from Deep Purple. Sure. Um, the way he attacks his parts and he, he can take a simple bass part and make it sound complicated. And there's so much emotion and, and his choice of note selection and some of the Pink Floyd bass playing too. I mean, relatively simple, but perfect parts. Um, yeah, man. I mean, there's so many. David Ellison... Sure. Um, you know, and it's kind of cool knowing him now, you know, it's, a uh, yeah, it's, awesome. I, it's funny. Cause I was about to bring him up actually, because, uh, I've uh, gotten to interview him a few times. Uh, and, uh, I know that, uh, you know, I, the last time I talked to him, he was collaborating with Tom Hazard and something, and I know that mm-hmm. uh, he worked with you guys. So uh, how do mm-hmm. you, uh, w- at what point does the, you know, the band starts recording, where do you get to a point where you have Tom helping you out and kind of, I guess, explain to the audience what it is that he did for you guys? Well, basically, Brandon and I were in uh, L.A., and we were at a Megadeth listening party, um, and uh, a friend of ours, Jimmy, had invited us over there, and uh, we said, I, I met Tom, and and Brandon somehow knew who Tom was. I didn't at the time. Just because uh, Jimmy but, told me who he was. Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy and gave so, me the, the, the skinny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so we met Tom, and it was cool. You know, we just, you know, chit chatted for a second. 
And Brandon and I watched this show, and I remember elbowing Brandon and saying, uh, hey, man, when we get home, we're going to write the heaviest song we've ever written after, because we're standing there watching Megadeth play this their record, you know. And by the way, and we so, did that in the hotel room. We started that song yes. that night. I like we that. were just like, eh. yeah, why, yeah. why wait till you get home? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's we, we tried, but it didn't work. We, as soon as we got to the hotel, it's like something like this, you know, and <laughs> And uh, anyway, so we finished the record. Uh, we're actually we were almost finished with the record, and we recorded a video for our first single. It's called "Ready for Dead," and the video turned out pretty badass. And so I'm like, I'm gonna reach out to that Tom guy because I know they've got a label going. So I hit him up and said, "Hey man, can I shoot you something? Um, if you're interested, you know, if you like it, I think you're gonna." But before we talk any further, I just want you to hear this and watch this. So I sent it to him and he sent, he replied to me, you know, within a day. And he was like, it's badass, man. Let's, uh, let's chat. And that's kind of how it all started and um, got to know those guys a little better as we finished the record, etc. And uh, spent some time with them. I, I flew back and hung out with those guys at this thing called the pod, uh, pod expo pod. And it was in Nashville. And um, um, I had dinner with David and got to know him a little better. We just talked business and the strange uh, climate that the music industry is in now, you know, with, you know, streaming, et cetera, and how, you know, looking at the business model and trying to figure out how to, how to monetize music, you know? And, and we basically came to the conclusion that uh, audio and video is, a marketing tool for your t-shirts <laughs> basically you <laughs> yeah. know and um it's now in the marketing column in the pie <laughs> you yeah. know um but anyway i mean that's it's it's been cool getting to know those guys and and via tom and his placement in the industry now i mean he's kind of the guy you know in hard rock um he's worked with so many great bands and talents and he just kind of knows where to go and what to do. And so we kind of joined forces with him with a finished record. So it's not like, you know, um, they kind of pointed us in directions as we went along, but that was kind of it. You know, they kind of had, they took the executive role pretty much. And, and then once it was all done, they helped us launch, you know, so that's pretty much it. Yeah. And I think that that's the sort of the important thing is you need these people who can kind of help uh, steer you in the right direction. And yeah, I mean, sure. the, you know, you could, you could talk to somebody who was in the music industry 20 years ago and all of their advice might have been good advice then, but there's not much you can do with it now. So it's good to yeah. really get in with, uh, you know, guys that still kind of know where it is and yeah, just sort of getting videos out there and just making people aware of it. And uh, I think that goes a long way. Obviously, a big part of it is uh, being able to perform live, which uh, is, is not something that there's a lot of right now. But when I was reading about it, I, I thought it was uh, interesting that you guys didn't start off small when you did your first show together as the Loyal Order. You opened for a Puddle of Mud and it was a sold out. Uh, you know, it seemed like it was a big show. Uh, did yep. uh, did that help, Brandon, in sort of the way of like, well, you know, th this isn't like, you know, 20 of our friends just, uh, you know, out outside in a field somewhere. We have to actually make sure we're as good as we can be right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, you know, the way Jeff, I think one of the reasons Jeff and I like synergize so well together is because we have the same vision of like how to make a band good and, you know, rehearsing together in a in a way that, you know, challenges ourselves rather than just kind of show up and be like okay we're gonna play the songs you know it's like no we're setting a goal that we have to be ready to play Wembley if somebody calls us you know like that's the kind of <laughs> that's the kind of power that we want to exude in the band I don't I don't hope it doesn't sound arrogant or whatever but just like that's you know you know you read articles with Gene Simmons and you know those guys and they're just like we wanted to be playing here so we started practicing like we were going to be playing there and you know, Pat, Patrick Young, our bass player, he's already been to the mountain. He knows what it's like to practice for a tour with Kiss or a tour with Ted Nugent or Guns N' Roses or something like that. And, you know, have those other bands be on stage with you. And you have to, you have to be able to just like either be as good as them or upstage them from the front. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we, you know, Puddle of Mud has a huge giant hit. And if we're going to stand in front of like that band and 
you know, balance out with blurry, you know, we've got to be ready. And we practiced our butts off for about three months, you know, the, and then the, the week leading up to it, we rehearsed in the venue because we were friends with the venue owner and we did like two, two hour rehearsal, two or three hour rehearsals in there and worked with the sound guy to try to make sure everything was dialed before we did it. Oh yeah. I think that's uh, that's probably the great part of it being on, you know, your home turf is that you were able to actually get in there ahead of time. You know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, a lot of bands don't usually get that uh, luxury. So that's great. Yeah. That was uh, Jeff's idea. He, he, he's really, Jeff has some really great leadership ideas on how we should, you know, lead this band. And it's like, yeah, when he says it, I'm like, yes, of course, that's what we should do. But like, he's, he's got a good vision for the way we should lead this thing. And uh, obviously in a perfect world, you guys maybe would even be, uh, you know, doing some shows right now. What uh, are you able to plan? I mean, do you look like, oh, well, here's, you know, here's scenario A where maybe we can do this, maybe we can do that. Or are you just working on studio stuff? And when, you know, touring presents itself as a realistic option, that's when you'll get back out there, Jeff? Well, basically where we're at now is like, you know, we, we had a string of shows set up to go. We were supposed to go play down in Texas with, uh, with, uh, you know, Tom and Dave's band, Ellison, and we were supposed to do that. And then COVID got in the way of that with one of our members and Kyle, our drummer, um, he, he got, and, and Justin, actually, they, they both were pretty apprehensive to leave town. Sure. And as it turned out, Kyle got exposed like a week later here. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) But, but anyway, you know, Kyle's a monster drummer and he's played with a lot of good uh, 36 crazy fists and some other folks um but yeah i mean you know so we had the shows kind of there and and covid hit and it's just like okay this is not going to be a two three month thing so basically i mean you know we have a sh- we have a show tentatively scheduled right now to to headline uh guitars under the stars which is a thing in oregon here and we're kind of reaching out right now it's like who is still in business you know, as far as booking agents and production companies and stuff like that. So we're beginning to connect with folks like that. So we can do that. And um, our radio promoter and Tom both can, you know, make the connect those dots for us, you know, as things begin to proceed. But what we chose to do, instead of sitting on our hands, um, we decided, you know, let's take this to radio. Let's, um, which has been a really favorable thing for us. You know, we've had two songs in the top 20 uh, at Billboard and the top 10 at um, uh, uh, Foundations, their Foundations chart. And we have a third now that's in the top 40. uh, And uh, that one's, we're going to, we're going to keep that at radio for another week or two. And it's, it's, you know, it's definitely been doing well. But um, we just kind of chose to, you know, kind of fill up our catalog with music videos and um, take the time to get all that work done. Because trying to do that during the middle of a, you know, touring or whatever and planning for a show is it's, it's a lot of hard work, you know, to, to plan a video out. So basically, that's kind of what we chose to do. You know, it's just like, let's let people know who we are rather than just focus on local let's, you know, put it out to the world, um, you know, and, and try to get as much traction as we can without touring. And I think we played that card relatively well. Um, but yeah, as things begin to open up and everything, that's kind of the phase we're at now, because it looks like things are going to start cracking here, you know, so um, it's time to, time to, you know, get a hold of that and make it happen. Yeah, yeah, I just ahead, I just wanted to say I was watching an interview with uh, with Chris Jericho last night and his band Fozzy like they had some some radio success and it was nice to hear somebody who has his own crews say yeah. that that we're doing <laughs> we're doing exactly the same thing you know and our songs have gotten as high or higher in the charts than his have and I was like this is weird. Chris Jericho is like, yeah, I've got a top 30 song. And I'm like, yeah, we got two top 20 songs. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it was a great interview. And he just talked about how like radio is is actually such still, even though it's like, it's not as what it used to be. It's like, it's still a huge, important mix for marketing your band. And it was really great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, like you were saying, Jeff, it's sort of, it's hard to tell from week to week. Like I was literally just reading last night that uh, in New York of all places, they're going to let people go to a basketball game at the end of the month. And I'm like, in New York, I thought that that was going to be the last place. And I'm like, well, no, I live in California. This is the last place where anybody's going to get to do anything. But so you're just like, I guess the rules are constantly changing. So you never know how soon you'll be uh, able to do a gig and, uh, Hopefully, you know, it's sooner than later. It's interesting you're talking about all the stuff you're doing for radio because I did want to talk the latest song that I was sent, which uh, with a name like Fuck or Fight, I wonder, uh, is that a difficult song to get on the radio or did you do a radio version? Do you just have a beep in it or is it <laughs> get out on YouTube and not worry about the radio for that one? Well, the song drops the F-bomb six times and uh, <laughs> in, in it on the album version. So what I did is uh, I, I reached out to our radio guy and I was like, Hey man, so I want you to listen to the record really solid. And, and you tell me what you think the next single should be. And uh, I waited a f- several weeks and I got a text from him one day and he's like, Hey man, uh, fucker fights the next single. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> and so I, uh, he, I go, what, how are we going to do that? you know and he goes it'll be awesome he goes just go in and do a radio edit go in the studio do a radio i said okay cool so i got in touch with our producer rob dicker and i said hey man here's the deal um i gotta come in he said all right let's do wednesday or whatever it was and we went in there and we tried to figure out how we were going to do it without bleeping every f word in the song so what we did is we changed two of them to start a fight (laughs) instead of fucker fight sure and and then two of them, we did the F sound and drop F F C K sound, drop the U, drop okay. the vowel. Yep. And then the other two we bleeped. So it was kind of a you know we 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 kind of approached it from all, <laughs> all angles, but you know it worked out. It worked fine. Well, I, I, at least you didn't have the per, the approach of like yeah we'll just say freaker fight that'll be fine you know oh, yeah. I don't know what we mean. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. guessing we wouldn't be having this interview if I didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's probably probably the case. Uh, but uh, no, that we we might have it just we would have started with it. I'm like, come on, really? You couldn't have come up with something better? Yeah, because it's like you know, look, there's there's radio edits, and you understand why you you have to do it. But there's so many different ways to do it, you know. And I, I think that. Yeah you know, the one you're talking about, first of all, being able to rewrite it in a way that makes sense is good, but the, the dropping out the you song, the you sound is, uh, seems to have become a little bit more popular, you know, whereas sure. you go back 30 years ago, that would have been unheard of. You know, it was just like, no, you're going to, you're going to have the, this loud beep sound or, you know, you're not going to get your uh, song played. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a great song. And I think to, you know, be able to look, I mean, completely different kind of music, but they were able to figure out, you know, the, uh, that that guy CeeLo Green had that song Forget You, but the song was really called Fuck You. And they're like, No, no, this is your this is your single. Don't worry, we'll figure it out. This is your best song. So go ahead and do it. And and I think the fact that you know the guy that got back to you said that it was just like, Yeah, it's a great song. I'm not gonna say I've heard all the songs that are on the album, but this is the this is, I hear it. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is smart to just figure out a way to make it work. And in all sure. honesty, there's a lot of radio. I mean, there's so much streaming radio, uh, satellite radio. A lot of places can play it the way the album version is, right? Sure, yeah. sure, definitely. A lot of people were like, oh, "I just want the I want the regular version." Yeah, I don't. We 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 got no rules here. And one of the you know bringing that up, satellite and and uh, some of the internet stations are. I've noticed that that's kind of the secondary impact from doing radio. So it's like you got these songs out on the radio and da 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 commercial. And they seem to like have more, you know, uh, secondary staying power, so to speak. And I, I've noticed stations picking up stuff. I get, you know, notifications and stuff like that, that, you know, via Twitter, you know, uh, Facebook, whatever, that, that uh, you know, they played a song. It's in a, it's in a chart, uh, you know, in, at their station, top 10 at their station. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I, you know, it's it's definitely been interesting watching how it happens. Only pushback that I had was Facebook, and uh, uh, you know yeah. the censorship. I didn't, I didn't think about that, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Nor neither did I, <laughs> and uh, and I dropped the video and like you know because what I do is I like to push the post you know to different countries, right? So uh, you know, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't run an ad on the post on the video. 
Um, so I ended up changing the title on, of the song to F dot O dot F dot on for the music video. <laughs> right. And it's the only thing I could do. I couldn't do anything else. So, you know, and I'll probably change it back at some point, you know, yeah, but, but, you know, just but, for, for getting it out there. I, I don't think anybody's confused for what the title of the song really is. I, I don't think yeah. you have to worry about that. <laughs> And uh, well, I, I mean, it's a great song and uh, hopefully you're able to perform it live. You know, you're talking about something that might be coming up soon, which is great. But uh, it, yeah, like I like I was referencing before, it's like, you know, you hear about, you know, whether tours are going to happen, you hear about whether or not sporting events are going to happen. And it just depends. And it's like, well, yeah, it's the middle. It's like early February. It's like, you know, don't let anybody tell you they know because nobody yeah. knows, you know? Well, what's interesting is I talked to a gentleman that, I don't know if you know who Sat Bisla is. He's, uh, he has, he has a, he ha he's kind of the head of this uh, event uh, annually called Muse Expo in Los Angeles. And I usually go down to it and um, industry professionals, you know, like uh, record label executives, uh, you know, all the people from the movies that do sound and, you know, pick songs, you know, sound selection for movies. Uh, song selection for movies and anyway so he's kind of a mentor of mine because he's worked with a lot of huge names like Adele and, you know he like yeah. kind of he's a connector guy sure. and um, he had a he had a thing called artist network and he, that he kind of founded and eventually sold part of it or something I can't I'm not really sure the dynamics of that but I reached out to him and I was like Sat, what are we gonna do you know I got these songs and uh, you know just just for direction purposes you know and so he told me just kind of sit it out and wait and he said but i'm gonna i'm gonna drop it around a little bit and and uh, so he connected us with a couple of companies in europe and stuff like that so you know i think you know once everybody gets their feet under them with this thing you know assuming they're still a company yeah um i, I think those those dots are connect pretty gonna connect pretty nicely you know so i'm just waiting you know with yeah. and being you know being proactive and not just you know uh you know just waiting for it to come to the front door but you know just taking that angle and being you know proactive about it and finding that yeah i mean brandon i would imagine that uh you know if you guys had a plan like a year ago you know february 2020 and then you know everything started to go sideways if you're like well you know let's just wait you know, let's just wait it out and uh, we'll do exactly what we're saying. Obviously, it seems like you guys and look, I've talked to plenty of musicians who are finding, you know, the time, you know, we, this is the really 2021 is the year that we're going to have, you know, all these albums come out and uh, that uh, weren't planned and stuff. So uh, I'm sure it's got to like feel good, Brandon, that you're actually like you know, doing something instead of just, you know, staring at the clock or whatever. Yeah, you know, Jeff and I have never been like the kind of people to just sit around and do nothing like we, you know, we've had periods of like inactivity, but like we are always like contacting each other and writing, you know, we have like, right now we have about 10 or 12 songs that are like in varying stages of complete from, you know, previous years of writing. But we also just recently, like we wrote like two or three songs since we, you know, we put out the fucker fight or we finished the fucker fight video in, in early December. And we started writing almost right away, you know, because we just were like, we got to keep doing this. And Jeff, Jeff had a, an, an idea. I had an idea. And then just recently he had this really great idea that we were really, both of us super inspired by it. Uh, we finished an arrangement and got some really strong melodies and beginnings of lyrics. And it's, we had, uh, it's just that that chemistry of like continuing to write just keeps building and you know it's like okay well now we have kind of a sound that we do what else can we do you know and uh it's uh, so putting out new records or like keeping moving forward it was like like for example i just didn't stop working at all during the pandemic at all i, I the only thing i didn't do very much of is playing live i did two shows and everything else i worked like a minimum eight hours a day you know for a really long time now towards the end it's like okay i can't drive that much uber anymore <laughs> but <laughs> sure. i'm getting i'm getting too many tickets but um you know i was all <laughs> driving to get back to you know playing music and sure. doing music and now it's like okay now i have to actually physically prepare myself for gigs yeah. you know and be ready to get on stage and do this stuff so 
we're we're working towards um, that. We're starting to try to piece together when we should start playing again. Yeah. So. Well, for uh, everybody who is uh, watching and or listening off uh, to the audio version of this, uh, what where do they go to keep tabs on when these shows might be coming up? When there's new videos? How do they find the video? Where where's the one stop shopping, Jeff? Um, well, you can we have uh, theloyalorder.com. We have Facebook, uh, The Loyal Order, and we have Instagram, The Loyal Order, and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, uh, which is kind of a relatively new thing for us. But um, yeah, man, just all the socials, you know, it's there. Yeah, and uh, always just having the theloyalorder.com. That's the uh, that's the easy one. You know, sometimes bands have to put like the word music on the end or, you know, and then it starts to get like, wait, what was it again? So, but yeah. also we live in a Google age. So it's like, oh, the, that band is called The Loyal Order. I bet I know how I can find all of their stuff. You just type it yeah. in. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's great. And uh, it's great to talk to you guys. I, I love the songs that I've uh, been able to hear and I uh, can't wait Thank to uh, hear some more. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of shows somewhere in the near future. And uh, if you guys end up down in LA, I will definitely be there. So thank you so much, awesome. Brandon Cook. Thank and you, Jeff Christian. Theloyalorder.com. Thanks again. I'm not dead, I'm just waking up. Cause time's up. I cross a line.